Hi, I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Nick Jimenez in the news. And we're from Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the entire Back to the Future trilogy one minute at a time. Like the minute when Principal Strickland becomes a vigilante hero of the wasteland after Biff takes over Hill Valley in the alternate 1985 timeline. I I don't... Wait, I don't I don't remember. Or that. the minute where we learn that Dr. Emmett Brown is secretly the saxophone king of Hill Valley. Hold on. When when did that or when, did that happen? when we slowly start to realize that George McFly may have murdered both of his parents. Okay. Now I don't I don't remember that being in the movies. Well, Scott, that's because none of those things are actually in the movies, but it's all stuff that we talk about on Back to the Future Minute. Back to the Future Minute, available at duelinggenre.com and wherever you get your podcasts. We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Welcome back, everybody, to Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies one magical minute at a time. I'm Gary Roby. I'm Victoria Laguna. And we have Kyle from Jurassic Park Minute with us again today. Welcome back, Kyle. Hey, guys. So happy to be back. Thanks for having me again for uh, for a very frightening, scary minute. Oh, I think you've got, like, <laughs> the scariest minute of the movie. I think so. Uh, yeah. I I think so. I think I might put it that. I don't think I was... I still, I still, my, my, my head keeps going to that moment when Quirrell takes off his turban, but I don't think it's got the same sort of visceral, like, terror that, that the, that this minute contains. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much more sinister, dark, and spooky, and I think it definitely adds something to, uh, to the whole, uh, feeling of it. Um, today, we're talking about minute 107. Minute 107 starts with more of Harry, Ron, and Fang, no, Ron, Harry, Draco, and Fang walking through the forest. And it ends with a shadow. Oh, I wrote this really mean. This en- it ends with a shadowy figure rising from the bloody carcass of a dead unicorn. Oh God, <laughs> um, just a little morbid, I suppose. <laughs> but I mean, it is, it is, it is what we're going to see in this minute. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's not, it's not pleasant. No. Um, once, uh, once we cut from like Harry and 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 Draco and their silhouettes in the forest and we cut to like them actually walking through these trees this itself is totally done on set i don't remember um he talked about the set designer why am i spacing on his name you know me we've talked about this guy so much i'm spacing <laughs> on his name right now um and uh, they talked about kind of building the set and putting together the uh the kind of gnarled branches and trees and um, I, uh, it's, it's uh, more with the blue light and oh, yeah. all yeah. the smoke and kind of, yeah, yeah, it's spooky. Um, you hear Fang kind of growling at about 30 seconds in the first, like half of this minute is really slow. It's just them walking. And then we see like they've, um, 
why I have, I, okay, I'm still, I'm still <laughs> not satisfied with the fact that they split up and went different directions. Like, are they just wandering the forest willy nilly? Like, what are the chances that these two are going to be the ones to find the unicorn? Right. Yeah. Do they, are they going around going, oh, unicorn, you know, like, how are they going to find it? <laughs> yeah, what, like, yeah. Um, the, the blood is like this silvery, uh, shiny color, this metallic color, and we found a pool of it earlier. Like, why they just need a tracker with them to like follow the right, drug, follow the blood unicorn splatters. tracks or blood splatter, yeah, or something unicorn droppings. I don't know what do trackers do. They use all kinds of stuff. To yeah, yeah, track where an animal's going. Well, at this point, you think there'd be like a trail. <laughs> no. of, you go that way. I there'd go be this like way. a trail of like the mercury blood or something leading somewhere. So they'd kind of have an obvious path exactly. to go for. But I, I, I assumed when I saw this originally that if Fang is not going to be a defensive dog, he could at least be a tracker or something like that. So maybe they've got him to go along. He can sniff. Yeah, but then yeah. Ron, Hermione, and um, and Hagrid are off just you know just randomly looking through the forest. You know. <laughs> yeah. Just good luck, guys. Yeah. We'll see you later. What do they? How are they? Are they? Do they have a meetup spot somewhere? Are they just gonna bump into each other again later? Like, how is he gonna find the kids right. now that they're split up in the forest? After an hour, just come back. We're gonna sink our watches. There's so much that lives in this forest. I would not let these two boys go on their own. No, <laughs> which no. you know is really kind of what makes it fun. No. You know, uh, my my brother Brady right now is doing the movie The Goonies. Uh, there was another movie that was released a few years after The Goonies called The Monster Squad that kind of traded in the same. It's about a bunch of oh. kids that are fighting like a Dracula and. A Frankenstein and a Wolfman and all that stuff. And it's a really fun movie because it's so dangerous. It's like these kids putting themselves in situations against like real life, like the, the like universal studios, like Dracula, like it's a very dangerous movie. And it's the kind of thing that happened in the eighties a lot is that, you know, kids would go out, uh, you know, in film, they would go out and just get these horrible, dangerous situations where they could get easily maimed or killed. And it was kind of almost refreshing Mm -hmm. to see Harry and uh, Draco Malfoy go out, together you know in this situation where they could very easily be snapped in half by a giant spider or something like that and just a little <laughs> just a little tone yeah. of like terror underneath the scene that you know i mean we know it's harry potter everybody read the books going into this you know that he and draco survive but at the same time it's just it gets you uneasy seeing a child by itself in the woods mm-hmm. and it's it's just a little thing like that that can make you in your back of your mind you're like this could go very wrong very quickly <laughs> Absolutely. I think that coupled with, coupled with the fog and, and the really kind of eerie John Williams score that we get in this moment. Um, it's just, it's all very tense yeah. and sort of kind of moving toward this moment where we see this kind of hooded figure, um, over the body of this, uh, this unicorn. Um, you know, I don't remember. I'm pretty sure they said they built, they made this, this unicorn prop. Um, to put on the set and Chris Columbus on the director commentary is talking about how like it was really kind of sad walking past this thing just be like well yeah it's supposed to be this dead creature that they're going to come across but like they have the site the set all lit up and they're still doing production stuff and they're like this is so like it's just laying there like, like um, someone help the boy <laughs> right um oh it's so it's uh supposed to be this really majestic sort of creature it's all all white and with the the kind of glowing the metallic blood um we see this figure kind of hunched over it and uh harry's scar hurts immediately let's start there this is what the second or third time we've seen this happen in the movie right um it's so dramatic i I, so after this scene where his heart his scar is hurting 
and you know he's seeing like this uh this this thing mm-hmm. hovering over and it you know it goes away like already he already thinks like oh snape is the one that messes with my scars is <laughs> snape oh my god no, no so so <laughs> but, it doesn't, so but this thing isn't gonna just run away which is right uh i love this moment i have it paused like when harry's scar hurts and he like reacts to it and then um this hooded figure looks up from the unicorn and you can see the metallic blood like dripping from his mouth under the hood like you just Ugh, see like, like the teeth and the looking. chin and the i don't think this is um, this isn't Coral. Like, this isn't... It's not, it's not Ian, the back of Coral's head? I don't... Well, <laughs> I guess technically this is Coral. But I mean, like, Ian Hart, the actor that plays Coral, I don't think is the one that's under this hood. Right, no, I don't think so um, either. I went looking a little bit um, through the credits, and there is someone credited with playing Voldemort in this movie, and I don't know if it's just the face on the back of Coral's head later, or if he's under this cloak here, but his name is, I wrote it down. Where did I write it down? Um, Richard Bremer is the actor who plays he who must not be named is what he's credited as. <laughs> um, and I, I think we might've discussed him a little bit when we saw Harry's flashback. Remember when uh, they were at uh, Diagon Alley and Harry had a flashback of the death of his mother. Um, I think it was the same sort of thing where we just see like, it could be anybody under this like robe um, moving through the forest, but I like to think they use the same guy. Like, did they cast him just for that? Like his, his name appears in the cast list a lot higher up in the like order of appearance than I would assume if he's just on the back of his face. Right. So you guys kind of cleared something up here for me that has always been a question in my mind uh, that this was actually, and I'm sorry, the, the, the professor who's serving host to Voldemort at this point, what's his name again? Uh, his name is Coral. Professor Coral. Okay. Coral. Uh, the actor's name is Ian, Ian Hart. Hart. Okay, so when I first saw this movie, and you know Harry sees it, and it, uh, you know Voldemort flies off, and then the centaur comes in and says, "Oh, that was Voldemort." I took it as if this was almost like a half ghost of Voldemort that lived in the forest. I made no connection until we were talking just now that it's just basically Coral turned around and Voldemort sucking the blood, or you know, however the host is, however the situation works. Out. I don't. I, yeah, I, see, I don't know, like, I, I think the idea that it actually is Coral with, I think that's creepy, like, I don't oh, yeah. know if I like that, I don't know if Coral's, like, be- like, how could he, he could be the one bending over backwards having this uh, thing feast, well, like, I don't know, they have it, those, uh, those possession movies, I guess, people's bodies doing all kinds of funky things, <laughs> um, so. it's very upsetting, but yeah, cause he's I don't, being possessed by Voldemort in a I way, I don't think that, yeah, cause I don't think that Voldemort is necessarily, like, separating himself from Coral and then reattaching yeah. Yeah. himself either. I think that would take a lot of energy. Yeah. That he does it it reminds have. me of that kind of like uh that old debate if Sauron actually had physical form during the time of Lord of the uh, physical form during the time of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I had, yeah, I had yeah. took it as if like, you know, and of course not having not read the books or knowing that he was, you know, just a spirit in the ethereal plane at this point that he didn't actually have like any physical form. So it makes a lot more sense to me that this is the professor flying around the forest and doing all this stuff. But um mm-hmm. but you know, it also it the it also kind of left that question in my mind because in, in the main thing I, I kind of wanted to address in this minute is that the the work between an actual actor and then an actor on wires and the way they make this whole thing move is brilliant it's absolute genius it 
at first he stands up and it's like clearly it's a human being underneath mm-hmm. a, a cloak and then it floats and it looks like there's no legs or any th- foundation to it. So the wire work is yeah. I can't wrap my mind around how they did this other than the fact that I think this person must have had some sort of like shoulder base, almost like a coat hanger and then having the thing draped from it. And then when it's moving across the ground, what, what, they, the person just must have planked or something like that until a standing position. That's what it seems yeah. like. Yeah, I actually I don't. I don't know for sure because, like, I know that it is wire work and you can kind of tell the way he kind of glides across right. the ground, but he's really close to the ground. I don't know if his legs should be dragging behind yeah. him. Um, I don't, I could almost be convinced that, like, for that moment that the, the cloak is moving across on the wires that there might not be anyone right. in it, like, because you don't see any features or anything, like, it's hard to tell. But then when the, when he, like, once he's like right before Harry, um, like right in the last like couple seconds of this minute, he comes to his full height and you sort of see him like settle on. Yeah. His feet. Yeah. And I think that's always like the yeah. most eerie moment of it where it's like, Oh, you were just kind of gliding Floating. across the, yeah. And now you're yeah. just like, now you're both your feet are on, which, ground. which is kind of, uh, yeah. kind of like when, when I, when the, when the centaur comes up and says, Oh, that was Voldemort. That kind of made sense to me in a moment. Like, Oh, he's a ghost. So clearly he can like float around and half of his body just disappears into nothing until he wants to stand. So it made sense to me at the time when I saw this and all these years yeah. until you guys <laughs> kind of were like, No, no, Kyle, it's, it's the professor. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, the only other thing I can think is that it must be some sort of like gigantic human sized puppet that they might be using, you know, that they had the ability to kind of set the knees when yeah. it came up straight. Either way, uh, that it almost seems to, and I'm not 100% sure on this, that maybe even they shot this, uh, portions of this in slow motion. Like maybe did some speed ramping or something like, cause the way the mist moves, the way the thing moves across the ground is like nothing I have seen in any other movie. And I give my hat is off to Chris uh, Columbus for doing this actually there on the set because it really gets a visceral weight, uh, visceral, uh, look to it a weight that you can't achieve with cgi and it is the most unsettling thing i think maybe in the entire franchise until we get that baby voldemort in uh you know the order of the phoenix or whatever one it yes. is yes uh, well see and, and, and so i have an issue with that yeah so there's even another thing here where like you know even if we're saying like maybe this is quarrel with um like under the influence of, I don't know how much that Voldemort can possess the body of yeah. Coral, like if he can manipulate uh, what he's doing. And then um, when we see that body later, Victoria and I had a really intense discussion last week, I think, like, no, on our weekend edition over the course of a couple weeks ago uh, about where where does that body, the body that they used to like <laughs> rebuild Voldemort in Goblet of Fire when when Harry's in the in the cemetery at the end, they dump that body into like yeah. where does that body come from? Because when when Voldemort is when when Quirrell disintegrates at the end of this movie, all that Voldemort is is like a spirit that's left. Right. He's just this kind of ghost of a thing. I don't know. I don't know. Do they have to go grave robbing? Like, what's going on? Possibly. Okay, or, or, yeah, where's the physicality of him? A host from? of very disturbing things if you follow that rabbit hole down far enough of what they could actually have done to create that being. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, you know, it, this this movie, it's funny because it's it's a magical story for, for you know, it's well, it starts off for children and it ends up being something for adults. But um, it's not afraid to go into the realm of horror whenever is necessary. And I think this is one of those moments and you get to it, you know, in the, about the middle of the series where we were talking about Goblet of Fire. And then by the end of it, the whole thing's about mm-hmm. like ethnic cleansing. Like it's just the way that this series goes is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it does it definitely like JK Rowling is, is the best writer of her generation, I believe. Yeah. It evolves in such a really wonderful way. I know a lot of people who've only read the first few books and I'm like, I can understand mm-hmm. that, but the series is entirely different. After Goblet right. of Fire wraps up, like the rest of the story is 
so much more mature. It actually is like, there is now a concrete threat, whereas Voldemort still even now is this sort of elusive thing. Um, very hush hush. Yeah. yeah. You don't talk about it. They don't They're even like, consider, no, no it's way. not even until, yeah, it's not even until a, thing. a couple, until next minute or the minute after when we talked, when we see the centaur that he says, um, like, well, you know what that was. Like, it's, it basically tells him flat out, like, that was Voldemort. And he's like, like yeah. oh, like, I didn't even realize that he was a threat I had to worry about in this movie. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poor Harry. Yep. Uh, there's a moment, bef- uh, there's a moment before we wrap the minute up that I really, really love where, like, we, we switch perspective from looking at, um, at Voldemort kind of coming at Harry to Harry. And in the background, at like, 55 seconds like right at the end of the minute you can see fang and 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 draco go running away in the background and they're just gone <laughs> and i love it so much <laughs> they they left the bobby pins spinning like as they left <laughs> like looney tunes just status took off. yeah they just, oh, I think they're it's gone so i think it's so much fun they lifted in the air and did the whole like mm-hmm. running in place thing oh god and then took away like scooby-doo <laughs> you're saying yeah there we go more scooby-doo reference this Draco's is definitely... just holding Fang. Oh my no. god, could you imagine Draco holding <laughs> Fang in his arms? Like Shaggy holds Scooby? Oh, you but know? Fang is so huge. He is. But I really I really love that you see him like running through the background. That makes me very happy. Okay. Okay. I think that was all my notes for this minute, too. I think that was all my notes. Let me double check that. Yeah. Yeah. That was everything I had. Harry's got some guts. He stayed. Yeah! He doesn't even move. He, like, stands his ground as this thing starts to approach him. Either that or he's just, like, it's like a deer in the headlights. He's just so shocked that he can't move. (laughs) He's, like, like, extreme (laughs) fear turns into courage at some point, I'm sure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's there's a thin line. There's a a blurred line there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. He takes a couple steps back and he, well, that's tomorrow, but um, he'll trip. (laughs) In the okay. literal sense, not yeah. like... Yeah, Don't yeah. trip. Don't trip. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a bad joke, Victoria. <laughs> oh. I had to. Okay. All right. That was minute 107. It was a great minute. It was a great minute. <laughs> yeah. That was a great minute. I'm glad you were able to join yeah. us for this, Kyle. Yeah, no, thanks for fun. having me on. You know, I, I like I said, I, I do really enjoy this series. And uh, it's it's like a my, my wife and I watch it probably every once every two or three years. We sit down and we have like, you know, over the Christmas break, have like a Harry Potter marathon, you know. And it's mm-hmm. so funny that uh, this movie yeah. starts out um so slow and just kind of like uh, it seems to be, I don't know if the word's intentional, but it's almost like it's made at a slower pace to get the audience into it, to get them ready, you know, for what's going to come in the long run. And I think the artistic direction that Chris Columbus put in this movie, and I mean, like later on in this series, you get such great directors like uh, Alfonso Cuaron and, uh, you know, Mike Mm -hmm. Newell and all these guys that just have such, it's, it's, the way they shoot the movie is completely different from the way that Chris Columbus shoots the movie. And it's amazing that it's able to keep the same uh, uh, internal look to everything. You know, like they never change that giant mess hall where everybody eats. You know, uh, uh, Hogwarts Mm -hmm. at the beginning looks like Hogwarts at the end. Well, I guess until the Battle of Hogwarts. But, you know, it's Chris Columbus really needs to be praised for having an eye for what the series needed to continue, you know, artistically along that path, uh, at least in, you know, set direction and and artistic design. So, yeah, it's it's a great film. It's fun as now is it's as much fun now as it was when I saw it in the theater in 2001. It's fantastic.
Oh, well, it was really great to have you. I'm so glad that you were able to come on for a couple. Yeah, minutes. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. Uh, you know, it's uh, we we ended our Jurassic Park run a couple weeks ago, and or I guess about a week and a half ago, and the entire time I felt this like hole in my life, and I'm like, oh, I gotta I gotta do another podcast at some point, you know. So um, uh, thank you for winning me back into it with this appearance. <laughs> Yeah, as soon as as soon as it wrapped up, I was like, no, we need we need to get those guys on the show. Uh, so we'll we'll have to I'll have to reach out and see if we can get a get either you and Brady on for our next project, or um, we'll have you guys back for Chamber of Secrets. I yeah, either or both. Just uh, you know, let us know when you're going to be recording, and uh, if something like tonight doesn't happen, we'll both be on. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Perfect. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, do you want to give everyone your uh, – tell everyone where they can yeah, find absolutely. you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. If you uh, like Jurassic Park, The Goonies, or Ghostbusters, we've done a movie-by-minute podcast on those as well. Just uh, kind of like a, you know, you guys are doing a Harry Potter minute here. And those can be found on any podcast platform, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Go, and SoundCloud as well. Uh, the – Names of the shows are Ghostbusters Minute, Jurassic Park Minute, and Goonies Minute. And then we also have a Patreon where on the weekends we just do kind of a, a special topic and we just go on for like an hour and chat about something. And that's going to be patreon.com slash Media. Again, that's Ghostbusters Minute, Jurassic Park Minute, and Goonies Minute. So, yeah. But thanks, guys, for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, you can find all of us at Harry Potter Minute and uh, DuelingGenre.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter and iTunes and all those things as well. And uh, you can join us tomorrow for Minute 108 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. All right. We wrap up every episode by saying Mischief Managed. Would you like to join us with that, Kyle? I'd love to. It'd be an honor. All right. Here we go. Mischief, Mischief Managed. managed. <laughs> <Sorry>. Perfect. <laughs> no, that's so fine. Hard with the that's the way, no, that's the way it goes. It's always yeah, sort of always. a haphazard thing. I love it. <laughs>